0: And welcome to FuturePod. I'm Peter Haywood. The COVID-19 pandemic is rolling around the world, extinguishing expected futures and opening up the possibilities of different ones. At FuturePod, we have decided to speak to our previous guests and ask them what this moment in time means for them and more importantly, to all of us. If you would like to know more about the guests we speak to, then please check check out their earlier interview on the website, futurepod.org. Today, our guest is John Sweeney. Welcome back to FuturePod, John.
1: Hi, Peter. Thanks for having me back.
0: Good to have you back, John. So, John, what sense are you making of what is happening And what do you think is ending and what do you think is beginning?
1: Well, I think like most of us, I'm struggling to make sense of how I make sense. So the virus, I think, is just one of the the outbreaks that we've seen really emerge. Uh, Obviously, uh, along with it, the the biggest thing um, has been to try to keep up with the the avalanche of information the the torrents really the the pandemic of what i think has been uh, a variety of really phenomenal reporting but also the misinformation disinformation so i think on the on the sense making side it's really uh, it's really hit home the the struggles uh that we have with with trying to trying to differentiate the the signal to the noise if you will to use the, the kind mm-hmm. of the the classic uh framing so I think on the one hand, that, that has really been, uh, been, been a dramatic challenge and, and really, really forced me to go back to my roots in many ways. So I, I, one of the signals that I picked up really strongly, and, and this relates to kind of how I've been approaching this question around kind of, uh, you know, what's, what's emerging, what's ending, um, been thinking and, and feeling about my own, my own preferred future. And then what obviously I think are a range of al- alternative futures through this. So I would say on, on the one hand that actually what I think and then what I hope maybe are, are, are a bit different. Mm-hmm. And I also would, I would relate that sort of internally with maybe in the, the futures and foresight community versus obviously what's happening you know, externally and globally. Yeah. One of the things that, that really caught my eye that, that I, I reacted may, maybe a bit allergically, but I think quite strongly to was... The conversation around uh, the the current pandemic being uh, a black swan, mm. and I think for most of us, we felt like, uh, of course, it's not a black swan. It's been talked about for you know decades, and analysts have talked about it, and scientists have been warning. And as I saw more and more of that, and and of course, more and more people highlighting this as part of their work, uh, what I felt like was <clears throat> really important was to step back from that and to say, wait a second, actually, like. For a number of people globally, of course, this is a black swan, right? You know, for a variety of reasons, whether we're talking cultural or linguistic, people really, you know, we're blindsided by this. And I, I think it's fair for us to to, to not universalize that. And, and of course, we know that for the powers that be, a lot of them completely ignored, right? The, you know, the, the warnings. But I think actually there's a danger internally for the community to really attach itself to that as sort of the you know, the, the, the kind of framing that we'd like to have. And I, and I think it, that's really important because I think what is emerging is a clear sense that we need to not go down the road of, you know, being the place where it is just about forecasting. And obviously we don't use the word predicting, but that that's going to be fundamentally what, what's critical. So so my framing in the piece that I wrote was that actually what's really powerful is to say that that this is and is not a black swan. And that's okay. And to hold that duality and to hold that duality precisely because it allows us to focus on uh, co- context and perspective and how we frame things. And then also to highlight how, of course, you know, this is all ar- around understanding complex phenomena and spotting emerging issues, which is really at the heart of what we do. And, and so that for me was really opened up a purview to, to think more about what is really emerging and, and what I think we all hope is ending. and. And when I say we hope is ending, of course, this has created huge challenges for the the current, you know, sort of socioeconomic structuring of the world. So it's a variety of crises. And certainly where I live in Kazakhstan, the, the sort of corollary crises of the drop in oil price has forced the government to completely reimagine its entire budget for the year at exactly the moment it's dealing with this, you know, impending sort of pandemic. I think fundamentally, and of course, we're starting to now see the socioeconomic economic effects. Uh, we're starting to see huge layoffs, and you know, businesses really confronting a you know a multi month shutdown, maybe even longer disruptions. I think hopefully, what what this opened is really a is a rift, and actually, that's that's where I think the kind of you know back to the post normal framings and the idea of of the black jellyfish and this chaos is really quite useful because chaos is is an ending, uh, but it's also a beginning. So hopefully that, that there is an opportunity to actually not just talk about, but to enact new ways of, you know, sort of economic ordering. And, and it becomes more than just lip service. I, I think as we've seen in past crises, uh, the system is really good at kind of swinging back. Yeah. There's a really powerful affect that just sort of kicks in. And that, that for me has been really critical in thinking about sort of hopefully, you know, what's, what, what's emerging and, and sort of my, my think versus hope and my internal versus external a little bit.
0: When I was talking to Rial yesterday, um, in his podcast, he, he makes the clear point that it, it is not our job to side with the technocrats. And if we go down and if we play the technocrats game, we will fail and we'll fail our mission and fail our purpose. And yet a lot of our colleagues uh, make their living in the technocrats space but they don't live in it necessarily as human beings. And there is a dilemma there, isn't there, for our profession as to, do we play the power games of supporting the technocratic structures about empowering them to predict better? Or do we lean onto the emancipatory? And I'm setting it up as a choice and maybe we've got to try and do both.
1: Yeah, I think this is the real challenge. I mean, As you know, if if you do any kind of foresight with governments, there's always that sort of, feeling that kicks in later, right? Am I, am I, am I complicit? <laughs> uh, you know, am I, am I part of the problem here? Uh, and I think that ultimately there's the opportunity to speak truth to power. Yep. I, I think, like you said at the end, maybe it's not a, a simple just sort of black white dichotomy, right? On, on off. I, I think there are, as we're seeing an innumerable shades of gray that have a variety of, power and and hopefully opportunity that, that come along with them. And certainly I think one of the things that's really quite critical is is in this moment where the technocrats are grasping for some kind of certainty, that lends itself to having an ear that maybe wasn't previously available. Sure. Right. I think that, you know, one of the things that maybe is born out of this is, you know, as as we know in our work, and we we I think make this evident to to the people we work with, is that, you know, culture change can take time, you know, shifting the kind of culture of an organization doesn't always necessarily happen overnight. And yet that's precisely what what these kinds of events actually create. You know, it's this swift, sudden kind of rapid change where our entire sense of what's possible, right? As we say, the Overton window has shifted. So I think what I liked about the conversation that I, I heard you have with Richard was, Now, actually, what's on the table is the whole idea of society being a social invention, as Jim Dater says, right? And it sounds like, you know, that was, you know, Riel's framing. And my guess is a lot of the folks you're going to talk to are going to say, hey, look, you know, like now the game is really afoot because we are in a position to reinforce the message to people that everything fundamentally that they see around them was created and was not destined so let's have a conversation about how to recreate the order of things literally such that they are more equitable and that they are more you know efficient hopefully and they are more useful for people and and people can you know not just be sound economic beings but actually live well right yeah. in a world that that does this kind of chaotic stuff and and clearly i think as you know i heard you speak about with richard and i think as we all sense as well like you know, we can't just isolate this as one thing. Of course, you know these things have happened previously, but you know the complexities of our lives and the ways in which we live, and and the, obviously the there's the climate change angle, and there's you know the the globalization angle. Like, it's going to force us, hopefully, to ask these kinds of questions around you know the safety of of what we're doing and and the choices that we're making. And and I think there's also to to bring in the specific kind of foresight perspective here. It's the the generational impact, right? So I think one of the fascinating things that I've seen happen, and and of course, there's, you know, like I said, kind of back to this dual crisis There's always this this sort of idiocracy affect right? <laughs> this brings out the best in people, no doubt, but it also it also gives people, you know, a stamped and embossed invitation to act stupid. I think actually it's been interesting to see the kind of the the kind of narratives around kind of generational perspectives, and I know in the U.S. there have been coronavirus parties, right? Where people have gone to intentionally get infected. And of course we've seen in, in places where it's been spring break, beaches have been loaded up. So to my mind that that really forces us and challenges us to not just think about this in one kind of way, but to imagine, you know, generational perspectives, to imagine, you know, future generational perspectives and to think about, you know, these kinds of, you know, framings. So I, I'm actually okay with, you know, to bring it back to the technocrat sort of question. To, to continuously keep it within the complex. And I think if there's one thing that I, I I really think that has emerged here, it's that it's the need to further think about, you know, sort of second and third order effects that are really critical more than ever. And and if we can help to facilitate that for the technocrats, then, then hopefully that does two things. One is that hopefully can ease the immediate sort of crises, right because it's going to be bad for a whole lot of people i mean it's it's obviously going to have a major impact and and that 's not even speaking to you know the people who are getting sick uh, obviously we 're talking about then the the further effects of the economic crises and then hopefully that lends itself then to to some shifts within within governance models that are you know fundamentally outdated and and obsolete and and I think we'd all like to feel like there's a closer alignment within you know, the kinds of work that's done that's really cutting edge in the Foresight community and the kinds of ways that, that government prepare plans, policies and strategies. And I think that that's the real moment for us is to is to be critical, to to fundamentally be, you know, speaking truth to power, but but to also be willing to engage. Uh, because if we if we sort of cross our arms and say, I told you so <laughs> and, you know, watch the city burn and then come in later and say let's build it anew then then yeah i think we are complicit in in facilitating a lot of suffering when obviously we have the chance to not just make things better in the long term but to help people make better decisions today so i think it is a bit of that both and kind of playing both games it's you know stealing from peter to pay paul but i think at the end of the day that's where and that's and that's actually maybe what i like most about the community is a variety of people who are willing to engage at different levels. And if we're willing to be self-reflective as a community and talk about that, then I think that's the real power. And and my hope is that 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 would emerge.
0: I've heard you use that phrase, talking truth to power, because one of the things I was asked by someone is, you know, what is our good work now? You do use the phrase, talking truth to power. You know, what does that really entail for you when you do it?
1: Yeah, again, this is where I, I think... In a really immediate and direct way, the current crises really hit home, and that's why I, I suppose, I've been really reticent to to get into the weeds of the kind of you know the external impacts and the scenarios. And I've really tried to bring it to myself as a practitioner and as a researcher, and the kinds of questions I'm asking and the kinds of engagements and and relationships I want to support during this time. And I think for me, like you know, good work has always been about people and, and trying to, you know, obviously, you know, promote, you know, well-being in a variety of spaces. But I think now, actually, that there's an angle to good work that really focuses on a clarity and a clarity and a purpose in relation to, to really pushing, pushing the borders and the boundaries of, of what's possible with people. There's no doubt that we need scenarios around what this is what online work is going to look like right there's no doubt that we need scenarios around the economic pieces but we clearly need scenarios around what the future of of health and well-being looks like right we need scenarios that don't just kind of speak to what market demand is and and not just scenarios but a variety of of ways of engaging with people that really ask really big questions because we have i i think people looking and seeking for for something right and and, and maybe it's not you know surety or certainty at this point, but good work that can capture people's imagination. And I think that's really critical and essential at this moment is to, is to, to provide that. And, and I think on the other side of that is you know, good work, from my perspective, is, has always been work that has given people hope. And, and that hope might be just other worlds are possible, as, as a great futurist, Anab Jane likes to put it. Certainly, that's been you know, a mantra within the field. But I think that giving that angle to, to good work is quite critical. I, I know one of the other things in my own, my own practice that I've, I've tried to do is to really pay careful attention to my own language. So in talking about going back to my roots, I've come out a bit against the kind of war metaphor. I know that these are often framed as being, you know, we're going we're gonna to fight this invisible enemy. Uh, you know, it came in the middle of the night and, you know, we're going to have to mobilize and marshal the troops, right? So I've tried to pay attention to that because obviously, as as we all know, you know, that that certain metaphors enable certain options and disable certain options. Again, really wanted to go back to my roots as a Manoa schooler and, and the work of Jim. and And I think actually the surfing tsunami metaphor is quite apt here because this obviously felt like you know, it, it, this tidal wave seems to come out of nowhere, and we obviously can't control these things. And obviously, we need to then develop the means and the, the mechanisms to to be able to grab our boards and to try to navigate this the best we can, realizing all the way that there are no guarantees. So, I think for me, that's that's the good workspace in my own practice, where I'm trying to enliven new possibilities. I'm trying to facilitate imagination, uh, and I'm trying to keep open. And I, I think I mentioned this in the written piece, uh, and, and this relates directly to riel's work, is to hold that possibility space. Now more than ever, I want people to feel like the future is still plural. It's exactly in this moment where the future feels like it's collapsed and there's a single future that's, you know, the, the doom collapse future that's, that's kind of, you know, coming right at us. It's at, a, at this exact moment, now more than ever, that I want to hold the future as, as a possibility space and to keep it yeah. plural. And I think that, that for me, is what feels like good work in this moment.
0: One thing I've felt is almost the notion of what they use when they talk about uh, Cortez burning his boats. You know, there is no going back. I fully understand why people want to return to the past because the past is something that we're comfortable and we know about. But I'm very interested the longest, you know, the length of time this goes on as to whether we can make people be clear on what it is about the past they want in the future.
1: Yeah, I, I, think, I think now more than ever, it's the opportunity to, to bring uh, a really criticality and, and a real sense of questioning to that, to that nostalgia that had really seemed to attach itself to a variety of contexts. Of course, as we know, right? When confronted with you know that that level of uncertainty and the whole kind of VUCA post-normal space, like people revert and and they they want to latch on to that, and we've seen that manifest politically, right? With this you know the rise of this nationalism, and certainly the heart at the ethos of the the kind of like the the rise of the Trump of Trump is this you know this this return to to a glory that was never very glorious, or certainly not not glorious for everybody. <laughs> I think in paying attention to our language and our framings, it's really bringing it back to that uh, that sense of hope and that sense of possibility. And yeah, I think I think if we if we're able to if we're able to break down the normal at this point, if we're able to kind of suspend that, and like you said really get people to to say well okay look if you if you really want you know well-being for your family and a sense that the next generation will be better off then it's not necessarily we're attached to the systems that allowed you to have that because there's a lot of variability and happenstance but how do we engineer that in a way that's more conscious mm. and that's that's more aware and obviously more forward-looking to the, the challenges that are lying ahead I I, I know for myself that it's been easy to get swept away in this, and it's it's completely taken over, right? All of our newsfeed and what we hear, but it's it's not that we've hit pause on anything else, right? I mean, if there's a if there's a really bad cyclone season, if and and of course we've seen a bit of a pause in relation to emissions, and there are, have been a number of stories about sort of the you know the the cleaning up of of the environment in different spaces, but. You know, we still have seventy million forcibly displaced people in the world, right? We still have a climate change crisis, and this just is, you know, adding on to the, you know, the things that we have to tackle. But again, if it if it opens up a space to call into question and to ha- and to allow people to reflect on what's what is really important to them and how we use that to engineer and to, to shape the future. Then I, I think that's back to this good work and back to the engagement with the technocrats and, and back to what I hope is emerging that I think is really useful. I mean, it has been really nice to see people engaging in online spaces. And I think obviously FuturePod is part of that to, to connect to people and say, you know, let's, let's have a conversation and take the time to reflect uh, about what we're, you know, what we're doing Mm -hmm. and why we're doing it. And I think that's, if there's a message that i think we bring more broadly it's that you know like we obviously you know there's emergency work that is being done and and of course there are people on the front lines who are, who are who are obviously risking their lives to to you know make the world better now if we can help to facilitate the conversation and the dialogue and the engagement and and the and the possibility space to think about how we Reflectively build that, you know, as the crisis unfolds. Then, then hopefully we've we've played a part in making it better. You know?
0: I agree completely, John. I think we we have to, I think, avoid turning this into a technical discussion. This is about our future and everybody's future. And people are scared, and at the same time, they're looking for, you know, they're looking for ideas.
1: Yeah, exactly. I think I think what's really nice now is a framing that I often use the line in my work that when I, because I, you know, go to lots of different places or have the ability to engage lots of different people and say, look, I, I'm not an expert in the future of X, right? I'm not an expert in the future of Y. You know, our expertise lies in helping people think about and imagine possibilities for the future, how to critically question our assumptions, right? How to highlight our biases. And I think now more than ever, that, that's a nice narrative to bring to people as well, is to say, look, you know, we, we do have a certain expertise in and have picked up tips and tricks over the years, and have a variety of experiences from the work that we've done collectively as a as a community, to be able to serve a purpose, and and that's what we want to do, and want to continue doing. So that's really nice, and and to to shift that narrative, and to say, like you said, to 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 put it to people, well, you know, what is it that you valued about the past, and what is it that you that you miss, what is it that you're you know mourning, that you're grieving, that that we want to have sustain in the future that's important to mm-hmm. us. And how do we, you know, have, have our values lead us? And because I think if we, if we have conversations around values, then, then that, that allows us to, to get to the core. And I think we'll see a, probably more similarities and differences when we start, to, we start to move in that kind of a direction about, again, what's, what's going to pull us into hopefully a better future.
0: Thanks for taking some time out to, uh, to talk to the, uh, the potters. Uh, I do appreciate it. My pleasure. And uh, stay safe in in Belarus.
1: Thanks so much, Peter. Stay safe as well. Cheers.
0: This has been another production from FuturePod. FuturePod is a not-for-profit venture. We exist through the generosity of our supporters. If you would like to support FuturePod, go to the Patreon link on our website. Thank you for listening. Remember to follow us on Instagram and Facebook. This is Peter Hayward saying goodbye for now.